Good evening. Perfect. Let me pray, and then we're going to read Psalm 133, and then we're going to dive in, and then we're going to eat all the pulled pork. It's going to be great. Father, we're really grateful for this beautiful evening, for our family gathered here, for this opportunity to come and study. We ask you to bless us, Lord. Bless uh, those who weren't able to, to be with us here tonight physically. Lift us up in what you've called us to do, and just allow us to glorify you in everything that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We love it. We love it. Psalm 133, this is the word of the Lord. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. It's really good to see everybody. It's such a beautiful night. It is such a beautiful night. And I'm really excited that we're back in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's been fun kind of shifting gears and getting back to my study of that as we get back into the fall months and these little bit cooler evenings. The mornings are really nice and crisp. There's, I enjoy that crispness for sure. So last week, if you remember, we talked about God's eternal decree and we talked about the elect. And it was, I think it was really interesting. I think it was thought-provoking for a lot of folks. And I hope it... If you ever had questions about how people came or come to be saved, I hope that it answered those things for you. This week, we're going to move into the fourth chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which Holden said last week was his favorite chapter of the confession. But I can see why, because we're going to talk about all of these things that are a part of creation. And if you think about creation, it's so incredibly incredible, right? We, we know this. I was, I was driving behind this old kind of rickety pickup truck. Was that, I guess it was yesterday. And it said... We had this bumper sticker that was peeling on all the corners and edges, and it said, slow down. Uh, what did it say? Slow down, stop and enjoy God's creation, or look at God's beautiful creation. It was fantastic, but we should do that. and We need to. We get to come out here, and even this morning, we, we left to go flying this morning, and I was up at, I don't know, 5, 5.30, and it was such a clear evening, morning, night, still, whatever. I was tired. No coffee then. And the stars, even here in the city were radiating and they were, they were beautiful. It was gorgeous. So we know that this creation that is around us is beautiful. We experience that. We, we actually get to experience God through his incredible creation. We were, we were sitting earlier this week on the porch swing reading our Bibles for our daily devotion and I was looking at the trees and the fact that the trees are changing color, the leaves are going from green and then yellow and gold and brown, and then they die and they fall off, and then next year leaves sprout. And I was saying this all to Kristen, and there's these little cells inside the trees that are alive, and they take nutrients, and they know exactly what their job is, but they don't have a brain. Isn't it incredible what evolution does by accident? It's amazing. And those trees provide you all this filtering so you can breathe you know, the oxygen that you need so you don't die. I was just overwhelmed staring at God's creation and the, the intricacies of God's creation, the beauty of God's creation, thinking and meditating on God's creation. And I think when you really do that, when you really do that, it's really hard not to be overwhelmed. You'd never been to the Grand Canyon before we went. And we stayed, I don't know, 200 yards from the edge of the canyon. And we just took a little stroll and there's no fence, <laughs> just a really big drop. And it's breathtaking, right? Especially if you've never seen it before. When you think about a tree is actually alive or how a jellyfish 
is alive with no brain, kind of lives forever until something eats it. But it knows how to do its job and how to do its life. All of these things lend themselves to a creator. They don't lend themselves to chance or to accident. And I think also the truth in that is that none of it would be beautiful if there wasn't a creator. The beauty comes because there's intention and there's purpose. That's why we, we talk about things being awe-inspiring, these awe-inspiring moments. And I think it's, it's just uh, it's a shame. It's a shame when people believe and fall into the, the trap or the lie that it's all just some accident, right? The only accident is is like God's happy little accident of painting happy little clouds in the sky. I did see today, I was just thinking Bob Ross because I saw today on the news that Bob Ross's original painting from his first show is selling for $9.8 million. Lots of, I, wonder if it, I wonder if it had happy trees and happy clouds, right? But we want to look at the lens of creation through this awe, this awe and amaze, amazement of the intricacies that God has built into it. The order, the symmetry, the beauty the things that could obviously not come by accident. And so actually, I would say, as I said earlier, that all of creation, what we would call natural revelation, points itself to a creator and is the proof text for God's existence, the intentionality behind his works. So with that, let's dive in. Chapter 4, paragraph 1. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world, and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. The question we should ask ourselves, if we're thoughtful people, I think, is why does creation even exist? Is it about us? Is it so we can all be here and have a good time and drive a nice car and eat a good meal? Well, no. It's actually about God. God created the universe and everything in it because it pleased God. It was for the manifestation of His power, His wisdom, and His goodness that everything is created and sustained. God is the creator, and he creates because it satisfies his will, and he exists outside of space and time. So it should tell you that the universe does not actually revolve around you. No matter, I know, I know, I'm sorry, no matter what you believe, that the universe does not actually revolve around you. And I think it's important to note when we think about creation that this is something that is created out of nothing, and that's something only God only God that exists outside of space and time could do. All things visible and invisible are God's, right? And he did this in the span of six days. We're actually going to a conference called The Politics of Six-Day Creation. We'll have many fun things to talk about when we come back. Now, that may be a sticking point for some people, the idea of six-day creation. Some people call that young earth creation. Other people call that the Bible. But I would ask you a question that a friend of mine asked me when I was pondering whether or not this was a literal six days, which I believe it to be. He said, do you believe that God could create everything in six days? That's really the question you have to answer. Do, do you believe that he could? So there's your answer. But let's look at what Scripture has to say for this first paragraph of the Westminster Confession of Faith. So Romans 11:36, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. All things from God, through God, everything, God gets all the glory because he lives outside of creation. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all, are, uh, all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Again, all things. 
Not like some things. Not just some things on Sundays. All things. Hebrews 1-2. But in the last of these days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Christ is the heir of all things. God is the creator. Christ is the heir. Through him he created everything. John 1, 2-3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There is nothing that exists outside of God. Nothing. Christ was with God in the beginning. God created all things through him. And you can't forget the very beginning if you're going to talk about the beginning. Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Ruach HaKodesh. What about Job? Job speaks about God this way in 33.4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job even acknowledges that his very life, his very sustainment comes from God. God creates everything. God sustains everything. Nothing exists outside of God's created order. And that's important for us to internalize because there are churches that have forgotten this or there are production facilities with the name church on the billboard out front. This, this, this idea like this two kingdom, well, this is just here and you come and participate and like it was nice and it really spoke to you really well and then you left. You think, well, this is just the churches over here. That's the world's over there. It's not true. Scripture makes it very clear. Everything in the world is God's. And that's really how we should be thinking about it and treating it, right? Is that nothing in the created order, in the universe, in our experience, exists outside of God. Romans 1.20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Jeremiah 10, 12, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Psalm 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's not just that he created, but he sustains. He participates. He's, it's not just like, oh, there you go. Poof. The deists, we're talking about this in apologetics. The deists. People don't even know they're deists, think this. Ah, well, I mean, it makes sense there's God, but he's not really involved, so poof. You see, if you think about this, you understand this, living all of Christ for all of life should be easier because this is all God's. And he created you, and you're an image bearer of him, and so you must live your life for him. Paragraph two. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image, having the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. Man's will changes, God's will doesn't. Besides this law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which while they kept were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. This may upset people to think that their pets or their children, but they're not, right? Your pets can't be your children. They're created differently. We love them. We love her. She's great, even though she just needs to bark at the same dog every day. But you all know that, that our animals and our pets and the farm animals are made differently than man. You know that. You know that intrinsically. Everybody knows that. Because of this in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, 
even humanists, even humanists, we're looking at humanism in, in apologetics, can identify the fact that man is different than the rest of creatures. Even the humanists can, can identify the fact that man is different than the rest of the creatures. Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And back to Genesis 1, 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Why? Just because we're some evolutionary accident? Absolute hogwash. And everybody actually knows that. Everybody knows that. Man is different because man is an image bearer of the divine. You have different responsibilities because you bear the image of God. It's why you have morals and the dog doesn't. We can train the dog. We can create behavior patterns in the dog, but the dog doesn't have morals. And this is why sometimes we can experience moral uprightness with, with people who don't really know God. Right? You can have people in your life who don't know God, but they can still act in moral ways, not all the time, but right, they can show, they can show some moral clarity. Because man has the law of God written upon his heart. This is why you know certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And you have the power to fulfill it, except man's will is subject to change, whereas God's will is not. And man has, through Adam, led us into sin and led us into death. Right? When left to our own liberty, <laughs> subject to change, you add sin and hard hearts, right? It makes sense. None of this is a surprise if you think about, if you think about the way God has created the world and the way that he redeems people to himself. Before the fall, man kept God's law perfectly and had perfect dominion over everything. But man, in the hard heart, in the hardness of his heart and his sin, fell. And it creates a separation between man and the communion that he had with God. And we know this because we experience this and we see this and we know this in our own hearts. We know right from wrong. We know things that are impressed upon our hearts that we know to be right and wrong. But hard hearts and sin and the fall are difficult. And because of that, we are all impacted. But it doesn't change the nature of the fact that God's law is perfect. Romans 2, 14 through 15. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. <laughs> the point is always this. It's like faith. God never falls out of faith with you. <laughs> it's never a God problem. It, it, it's a sin. It's a human heart problem. It's always a heart problem. We are going to talk about the heart so much tomorrow. I'm so excited to talk about the heart tomorrow. But you have God's law written upon your heart, but you're affected by sin. You see, when we think about these things, when we think about these things, it should motivate us, it should motivate us to serve the glory of God in His creation. It's created on purpose, and you are image bearers of His, and you have responsibility that comes with that. And it should change the way we view creation. We don't make creation our God. We don't worship creation. We have a responsibility to act in a moral and upright and righteous way within the creation that God has given us authority over. We talked last night at Be a Good Man about being a man comes with responsibility, whether you like it or not. Being a human, being an image bearer of God, comes with responsibility, whether you like it or not. God's law is perfect, even if you dislike God's law. 
So we don't want to fall into this lie that we believe that all of this is some giant cosmic accident, that it doesn't serve purpose, that it doesn't serve God's created order. What a shame if you live like that too, like if you really think about it. Because if this is all just some evolutionary accident, there's no purpose. There's absolutely no meaning. Nobody's life has any meaning. Any meaning that comes from a strictly evolutionary view of the world is only imputed by man and cultural norms. That's it. Which means cultural norms can change and man could vote for, for all different types of morals. And we've seen that happen, especially under tyranny. Right? But knowing that God is the creator and he is good and, and this, this creation that we are a part of serves his glory provides meaning to everything. Every part of this creation has meaning. That's really cool. So this week, I, I want you to reflect on that. I want you to ref reflect on the incredible nature of God's creation and the fact that you were intentionally created creatures, known to the Lord before the foundation of the world. I want you to re reflect on what that means. And then I want you to look at the trees and look at the flowers and look at the bees and the dogs and the goats and, and all of the things. All of the things. I'm excited for our drive to, to be able to see the change of seasons. It's one of the best parts about flying was the view really high. And then flying over places like northern Greenland. You look down. You're like, I wonder if people have ever set foot down there. It's really crazy. Or to watch the northern lights. That's pretty cool. To see these things that you can only see from a perspective of eight miles above the earth. That's awe-inspiring. Even the atheists I used to fly with would gasp as the sun would rise over the North Atlantic. It was really incredible, right? It's been dark. And then you can you see it. You can start to see it. You know, hundreds of miles as the horizon line is. It's farther, but it's you, know, you can only really see a few hundred miles. But the way the colors change as the sun is coming up, and you're eight miles above the earth, it's, it's breathtaking. It's out of this world. And then it gets really, really bright, and you got to stick a bunch of stuff in the windscreen because your eyeballs are burning out and you can't see anything. And you're like, thank you for the life-giving ball of flame that you've given us, Lord, but please turn it down a little bit. Reflect on the food. R reflect on the technology that we have. Reflect on the fact that we can all stay in communication pretty much all the time. All of the resources even this hot tub, all of the resources to make this hot tub and the wisdom that man as an image bearer of God used to make it, they're all provided by God. And some smart people with some wisdom hacked a couple cheat codes and they're like, we could get boiling hot water and make a bubble and everyone could sit out in the cold and they'd like it a lot. Everything has meaning because God has imputed purpose into the world. There's so many people that look are searching for meaning and purpose. I have friends in our life that are pagans and, and they don't know the Lord and they're spinning their wheels. They're, they're putting all of their hope and all of their trust in idols that, that will only fail them, that provide no salvation and they never find it. But they're living as part of the, I mean, this is the public prisons, schools, sorry, do uh, this, this incredible job of like beating the beauty out of the universe. And they make it this cold and dead and evolutionary cosmic accident and then we wonder like why music isn't beautiful and art isn't beautiful well we've stopped teaching children to see the wonder and beauty in the universe and then they turn into adults that don't see the wonder and beauty in the universe there's no hope in cosmic accidents and we're hopeful people 
because we have hope written on our hearts from the Lord. <laughs> That's why we're hopeful people, because there really is meaning and there really is purpose and there is a creator and all the glory and all the honor goes to him. That's why we can answer that first question in the catechism. It's just so well, right? The question is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We glorify him by being image bearers and we enjoy him by participating, by participating in his creation. And we get to do that just tonight by enjoying how absolutely beautiful it is. So may all the honor and all the glory be to Jesus Christ forever and ever. May we all live for all of Christ, for all of life. Amen? Amen. Let's go sing and then let's eat all the pork. <laughs>